Exploring the Word of God together allows us to share in the joy that comes from discovering the words of hope and salvation which overflow from our Bibles. Upper Room Media presents to you this educational, enlightening and entertaining Bible study. Prepare to be transformed. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Okie dokie. Um, we are going to wrap up Romans today. Um, and again, well done. This is legit the hardest epistle in the Bible. None of the other epistles are this complicated, um, this long, or this doctrinal. Um, so kudos for getting through it. Um, I didn't know that when I signed up for it, <laughs> or I wouldn't have done it. Um, but we are um, pretty much finished. So we're going to get through a lot of text, but they're really, like, they're thick sections um, in the sense that, like, it's not like a need to stop regularly to explain, like, line by line everything that's, that's meant. So um, I'm debating whether to read through it and come back and stop or to just plow through it because the ending is going to be mostly plowing. So I think we'll just read and stop, read and stop, if that's okay with you guys, um, because it's not wordy. So we're not going to have to stop a billion times to be like, wait, what's he saying? Um, I, at least I hope not. All right. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. I lied. We're not going to start right away. <laughs> just to put us back into context, because I forgot. Um, St. Paul has finished talking. I, I, in my view, Romans is, is the gospel of St. Paul, okay? So St. Paul has talked to all the different groups about everything that matters, about the history of salvation, all of that. And what he's doing now is that in, in 12 and 13, he started talking about what transformation or renewal should look like for a Christian, okay? And now for 14 and 15, and, and just literally two verses of 16, the rest is, is goodbyes, but... Um, he's now refocusing everything that got said um, back to the Romans, right? So remember we were talking about how they were in, they were in conflict and their discord. Now he's re-addressing those issues that he was talking about from the beginning, but with a totally different tone, okay? Like now he's not coming at them um, with a club. Um, now he's coming at them with a hug, and, and it's, uh, it's a nice ending to the letter. Okay. As for the man who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not for disputes over opinions. One believes he may eat anything while the weak man eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who abstains, and let not him who abstains pass judgment on him who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you? to pass judgment on the servant of another. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the master is able to make him stand. One man esteems a day as better than another, while another man esteems all days alike. Let everyone be fully convinced in his own mind. Um, this is, these two chapters are unfortunate that we're not doing this live in person, because I think these, are, these chapters are, are more likely ones that we'd have been able to discuss um, out loud. So these chapters, as relevant as they were to the Romans, I think are particularly relevant 
not just to our generation, but to these specific times. Um, this is the plague of our time, what St. Paul is talking about, in my view, um, and or a plague of our time. We have a lot of plagues. But um, this section is almost the, the Christian version, because there is a non-Christian version, of live and let live. Okay? Um, and I'm emphasizing Christian version, because people can live and let live in a wrong way. Um, and what... What he's talking about particularly here is, okay, there are Gentiles and perhaps some Jews, but probably more likely Gentiles, who are okay with eating meat that were offered up to the gods, like we talked about before. Okay, so if they had sold, if they had done whatever ritual at the temple, there's leftover meat, they were selling it in the market. There are people who are saying, what's the big deal? Those idols aren't real. I don't see the problem with eating it. Right, And then there are those who are like, oh my goodness, of course not. That was offered to the gods. Um, this is diabolical meat. Right? So St. Paul is saying, okay, those of you who are fine with eating the meat because the gods mean nothing to you, okay, eat the meat. And don't put down or despise or reject or mock or humiliate or think yourself better than the one who is not eating because God is fine with them. God is fine with them. So what's your problem? And so if you view them as weak, well, God can make them stand. That's between them and God. But it's not for you to step in and do this. So we do this issue all the time. Um, yesterday, I jumped on um, the Coptic Orthodox Answers uh, segment for a little bit. And there was people who got online demanding that the church has to speak about George in the United States and what happened. And I, and I'm not internally, I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. Why does he have to? Right. I'm not saying he shouldn't, but I'm saying why must they comment? Right. I'm going to lose some of these together and what I mean by that. Or for example, um, on some blog posts, I would get comments of, um, but Abuna, you didn't say this or this or this or this or this or this. As though every statement has to be all encompassing of absolutely everything all the time. I'm not being sarcastic to those who have constructive criticism. I'm talking about the particular demand of, you must say my view, right? My view better be included. My view better be proclaimed. Um, or in Q&As where, where people are asked, can you comment on Bishop so-and-so? He said this, what do you think? Right? What do you think about the Pope? How do you think he handled this situation? Um, or actors and actresses, forget clergy, are asked to comment on Trump, world politics, transgender rights, economics. I have no idea why Susan Sarandon or Brad Pitt, or Akon, um, or Celine Dion, or um, what's his name? Um, the guy who's gone all Christian now, um, that married Kardashian. I'm trying to lip read Farah and I'm not catching it. Kanye, <laughs> good job, Kanye. I don't know why they're seen as experts. 
And I don't know why they need to comment. I'm not saying they're not allowed to comment. I'm just saying it's the way that we think, right? And so people today are not just content with having their own stance, okay? So I'm trying to get at, this is what, what St. Paul is addressing. People are not content with just having their stance, but on examining everyone else's stance, right? It's like in choosing your position, you automatically are challenging every other position. And it's as if having a position that's different from someone else's means that someone else must be attacking your position. If it's not dogmatic, leave it alone, okay? You'll be at much more peace. Um, and actually, so will the whole world, okay? Um, you don't need to challenge everything. So if you want to know if you're one of these people, because you might be listening to this thinking, yeah, 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 there's so many people like that. But honestly, most of us are, are like that, right? Ask yourself, do you argue with your parents a lot? Ask why. Why am I arguing with them a lot? If nothing is being asked of you, why do you fight a lot? Do you argue with your kids a lot? Same thing. Do you get angry when you watch the news? I'm not saying that's never appropriate, but ask why. Do you get angry when someone tells you about a particular person or speaks about a particular situation or subject? Do you outright reject certain people's opinions with like, oh, whatever, she's a tante, of course she's gonna say that, right? Or yeah, that, like obviously that person's a servant. They're gonna say that. Oh, right, of course, because that person is Catholic. Oh, yeah, 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 like atheists. Insert whatever it is there. Because it, it may suggest, I'm not saying it means that, but it may suggest that you are strongly opinionated. That you're not looking for an objective truth and you also don't like other people having views other than your own. Be careful. Okay, be very careful. Um, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be critical of wrong ideas. That's what I'm saying. There's, there's a Christian way and a non-Christian way. But just ask if you are one of these people who've used your position as the best opinion, best position, right position, and not just that, but that you deride or belittle people whose opinions are different than your own. Um, if we're not in a communally regulated thing, and if the stance does not affect you, leave it alone. Okay? If it's communally regulated, it's different. Right? That's why even on secular levels, it's not like, oh, that person thinks driving through red lights is okay. Whatever, live in that live. No, that, that's a communally regulated thing because it affects people. We're not okay with driving red. People die. Right? So there are some things that need to be regulated. But if it's not communally regulated and if it's not dogmatic and it does not affect you, leave it alone. Even the disciples struggled with this. Right? Um, the disciples went to Jesus saying, you need to rebuke those people. They're doing miracles in your name. And the Lord is like, leave them alone. The Malek, like, how is this any of your business? Okay. Um, Peter, 
right after, <laughs> like reconciling with the Lord. It's like, what about John? What about John? What about John? Right? And, and, and literally our Lord's like, what is it to you, Peter? Like, why do you care? Right? Like, leave, leave things alone. Okay? Um, and this is so important, not just in terms of living the gospel and how it affects society, but how it affects you. When I was a novice um, at the monastery, I started hearing stories about some of the monks and novices, about their histories before they entered the monastery or about things that happened before I came to the monastery. Um, and at first it didn't affect me, right? At first I was like, yeah, whatever. Like they just have beef or like whatever, that's their history or I don't really care. But then it started to enter me, right? At some point, it was no longer just hearing about others. At some point it actually entered me. Okay, um, and I started interpreting people's behavior through that lens, right? So then it would start to be like, oh, wow. Even though that person looks nice, they're not. They're conniving, right? Because I know this and this and this and this and this and this about them. So I don't know. I don't know if I can take what they're saying at face value. Um, that person has a soft voice. But, oh, the venom that can come out of that person, right? I started judging. I started treating people differently. I started reinterpreting their behaviors, right? Um, and it was affecting me, even though I didn't even know if what I heard was true or false, on the one hand. And on the other hand, it's absolutely none of my business, right? It's not my business. They want to fight, they can fight. It has absolutely nothing to do with me. Um, and it changes how, how a person would view. So if you want to stop that kind of behavior, if you're, if you're somebody who, who does this, and I, I would suggest that many of us are doing this, we might just not be aware or paying attention, avoid all vain conversation. Vain meaning empty, pointless, okay? Um, don't talk a lot, don't gossip, don't acquire news, don't look for news, right? Don't try and find out things about people. Um, be very humble with your speech, very humble with your speech. Don't speak boldly unless what you're saying is known to the absolute truth. If you're speaking something that Christ said, you know it's true. It's Christ's words, not yours. And, and you also wouldn't be using it to beat somebody with, right? But um, don't speak comparatively in particular, right? This is what I think is, is the core of this whole issue is speaking comparatively. That everything you say is being said in comparison to another thought or another idea or another group of people. Because once you start contrasting there's some form of judgment probably going on in there, right? Where it's like, unlike those people, I don't think this. Or, um, and, and you might even say that in a friendly way, but, but what you're saying is that, right? Um, at this place, we do this this way because we believe X, where even though you haven't made the comparison in your head, you're making the comparison where you're saying, unlike other places, who don't do this, right? Um, be careful, be very, very careful. Um, don't volunteer opinions. 
wait till you're asked for them, right? Unless you're in the setting where the setting itself is asking, like we talked about previously. If you're at a servants meeting, you're there to discuss, okay? There's nothing wrong with saying something there in that, in that regard, right? But don't be that person who walks around being like, could I just give you an opinion? Or if you even thought to ask, right? Or just like, um, well, here's what I think, right? And then boom, 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 and you're, you're, you're the truth police. Um, don't volunteer opinions. Watch your reactions to other people, right? Pay attention to your reactions. If they're ever negative, if they're ever negative, ask yourself why, okay? Um, so what should we do instead? Um, he continues in verse six. He who observes the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. He also who eats, eat in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While he who abstains, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. None of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether, whether we live <clears throat> or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. Everything is in the Lord. In the Roman context, right, he's been talking about the kinds of meats, um, clean and unclean, etc. But you can do all things to and for and with the Lord. Um, I'm not going to rehash all of that. That was last Thursday's talk. So I don't want to go through all of that again. But the idea is direct your whole being at God. Be who you are. Right? Struggle not to sin, but be who you are. Whatever your personality is, is not bad. Only fix what's wrong. Okay? So you be who you are, and you let God be who he is. And then you be together. In being who you are designed to be, you are glorifying God. Have you ever thought about um, this? These verses really struck me to their meaning um, when I used to live in Thunder Bay. Um, because I was cross-country skiing um, and it was like minus 50 and there was no one on the trails. <laughs> but the majestic beauty of the ice and of the snow. Um, I mean, you Albertans probably see it all the time, but um, it was my natural reaction to say, praise the Lord, O snow and ice. Right? Bless the Lord, O snow and ice. Because the natural beauty of ice being pure ice and snow being pure snow was so beautiful that it begged us to say, who made that? Right? That, that the, the maker of this is the real genius. And it was just by ice being the way it was supposed to be that made the beauty of God so much more beautiful. Not more beautiful. It made the beauty of God become apparent. And so that is how humans are supposed to be. When we are in the image and likeness of God, when we are exactly as we were made to be, that is the highest form of praise. That is praise. That is prayer. 
by being righteous, which is the point of Romans, by being faithful, which is the point of Romans, you become living prayer. And if you're eating, honoring the Lord by being who you're meant to be, you are eating with the Lord. If you are laughing the way that the Lord designed you, your laughing is praising the Lord. If you are weeping with them that weep, your weeping is praising the Lord. And in fact, if you treat every human being as the image and likeness of God, because they are, and if you treat every single human being, as he said, as, as Christ himself, then every action you do is directed at God. Every action that you do is prayer. Everything. So it's, it's a very deep thing what St. Paul is saying here. Um, so examine all your deeds. Examine all your deeds, whether they are worthy of the image and likeness. Um, examine your motives. Always examine your motives, that they are clean and pure. And if you do this, you'll be able to walk with clean conscience, right? And then you will not feel the need to persecute, yell, scream, anything. You'll only care about treating everybody the way they ought to be treated as God himself. Every human is Christ. Whatever you do and say to them is, is, is to God himself. And so the key here that St. Paul is talking about, is remember this whole Romans context, because now he, he went through the doctrine for a reason, right? He went through the doctrine to arrive at the practical, to say, this is what being faithful looks like, right? That it's not just theory. This is how to live it. So verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? This is reminiscent of Romans 2. Or you, why do you despise your brother? Right? Why do you look down or consider your brother worthless? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So each of us shall give account of himself to God. I'm not going to go through every Old Testament reference that he makes, but he continues throughout these chapters to use, to use the Old Testament to make his point. So he's saying, why do you feel the need to look down on somebody who doesn't think the way you do? And not just to look down on them, you evaluate them, you judge them, right? You're judging their intentions. So ask, do you evaluate and judge people? Do you look down on people? Elitism is so rife in the church, okay? Um, as, a, as a general priest, especially when I was in, in, in the Diocese of LA, I went to a zillion churches, right, to serve at. And I started to, to find the, the clubs, right, that are, that are all doing these things. You've got your patristic scholars in one corner, I was like, no, 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 Athanasius never said that. I don't know what's wrong with them, but whatever. If they don't understand it, they don't understand it, right? Then you've got the other corner in reaction to those. I don't know who's in reaction to who, but they're all reacting to each other, right? You've got the, we don't talk like that because we're actually spiritual. I might not be able to quote you Athanasius or Cyril, but I can tell you what Jesus would do. Um, and those poor people over there, they reflect poorly on the faith. We're so sorry that you had to deal with them. Then you've got a whole other crew, which are, you know, I'm like spiritual, but like not religious, you know. Um, for me, it's all about just kind of like doing the right thing, you know, like to the best of my ability, because everyone else, like they're so horrible. Look at how they treat each other. That's so, 
that's so not Jesus. I'm sorry, my, my make fun of voice always goes to like, like California Valley Girls. <laughs> um, then you've got the, uh, I'm not a fanatic, like different tone kind of person of, um, of grouping. And you've got the, I just try and be a good person kind of person. And then you got the I'm an anti-bigot kind of person. And then you got the I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very, you know, Pope Shenoudian type of person. And then you got another person like, oh, well, I'm the kind of like the Buena Meta kind of school. And everyone's forming these schools and everyone's forming these clubs and everybody's criticizing all the other clubs and everybody is, is, is deciding what everyone else means and everyone's yelling and screaming or yelling and screaming internally and just going in person. That's what the Romans were doing. Right, and that's what St. Paul is saying not to do. Do you belong to a group? Do you assess groups? Um, live and let be, right? I remember, so my first church assignment was at an American Coptic Orthodox church. And within the, that group, there was a lot of, um, this is how church is supposed to be. Because, you know, all this Coptic nonsense that's made us lose generations of youth, right? And then I'd be at a traditional bilingual Coptic Orthodox Church as an assignment, and they'd be like, this is a travesty. I don't know how those American churches exist. The things that we're losing in denying our heritage, these people who hate the church and who hate all of us, and everyone's just got their clubs, right? And it's like, no, some people need English. Some people need Arabic. Some people love Coptic. Some people hate it. No problem. That's why our bishop could see that and say, we have a church for this. We have a church for this. No problem. We need both, right? So he was dealing with a very similar problem to this, right? So live and let be. If it's not dogmatic, you don't need to have a stance. You don't need to yell and scream. You don't need to call everybody stupid, right? That's not something that we're supposed to be doing. So if you do that, you forget in whose image you are, is what St. Paul is saying that. And that the standard, the standard is not you. That's the problem here. That's why St. Paul is tying this to the worship of God. He's not being random, right? He's not like, oh yeah, because you know, one day, no. Because whenever you judge, you put yourself in the place of God. Because you're setting up yourself as a standard, as though, as though everybody should be in your image and likeness. You're not tying it to God's image and likeness. You're tying it to your image and likeness. Not to mention even the role of judging, only one has the right to it, which is God, and you're taking it and saying, don't worry, God, I got this. You don't need to judge them. I've already taken care of it, right? I already know how bad they are. I'll tell them, I got it, God, don't worry. No, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's none of your business, none of my business. Um, be careful, okay? And ask yourself if you sarcastically say things like, as we talked about before, yeah, of course he'd say that, but with, with a tone, as St. Paul says, of despising, a tone of devaluing, right? It's one thing to say, oh yeah, of course he would say that. He's a scholar of that, and that's, 
in line with his personality, where there's no despising, there's no sarcasm, um, where, you, where you genuinely mean that sincerely, no problem, that's not an issue. It's when you're saying with that tone of, of sarcasm, of like, yeah, he's of that school, if you're one of those, go for it, right? That's a completely different tone. Be careful. And if you want to see what that looks like in perfection, there's an awesome story of St. Anthony the Great. I, I overuse this story, but he is the best saint in the world. Um, but St. Anthony, monk, guru, literally the dad of all monks, right? Some monks at another monastery, messes up hard, we don't know what it is, probably fornication, and the monastery kicks him out. They're like, you're not cut out to be a monk, you suck, go back to thy house. So guy is upset, heartbroken, really wants to be holy, goes back to St. Anthony, to, like goes all the way to St. Anthony and says, um, I got kicked out of my monastery because I messed up. St. Anthony um, works with him and says, okay, you're ready to go back, go to your monastery and tell them, Anthony said, um, to, to, to receive you back. So the guy's excited, he goes back to his monastery and they say, you must be lying. There's no way Anthony sent you back here. And if he did, he must not know what you really did and how bad you are. So the poor guy leaves again, travels all the way back to St. Anthony's monastery goes back to St. Anthony, and this time St. Anthony leaves his monastery himself and goes with him. And he stands at the door of the monastery and says, a certain boat was out at sea and a mighty storm overtook the boat such that one of the crew was thrown into the waters in the storm. We wrestled in order to save him and get him back into the boat. After much toil, we're able to save his life and get him back in the ship. Will you now throw that person back into the sea? Right? Your judging is killing. Right? So, so be careful. There's lots of other stories. St. Macarius, right? Where he, he, he covered for the monk committing adultery, right? By, by sitting on top of the basket where the woman was, where she really, like he was caught in the act. Um, and one of my favorite monastic stories is this old monk who's on his deathbed and all the monks are gathered around him for a final blessing and a word. Um, and they're like, oh, Abba, are you afraid? Are you this, are you that? And he's like, nope. And they're like, you're not afraid? And they're like, oh no, it's his last minute. He's going crazy. Um, and so he's like, no, I know I'm going to heaven. And they're like, no, Buna, don't say that. Just say like, God willing, right? Like, don't, don't say that. And he's like, I don't know why you want me to say that. I'm going to heaven. And they're like, how can you say that? <laughs> Such conviction. You're dying at any minute. Like, collect yourself, man. Um, and he's like, no. Jesus said, judge not and you will not be judged. I have made it my mission at all times to make sure that at no time to ever judge a human being. And I have not. And I'm confident that because I have never judged that I will not be judged. Right? It's, it's a really beautiful story. Um, we continue. Verse 13. Then let us no more pass judgment on one another, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. 
So note till now, he hadn't even given his position, right? Now he's placing himself in the position of, I get that the need is okay, but I don't do that. I don't treat people the way that you guys treat people, okay? But it, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. If your brother is being injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. So do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything indeed is clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make others fall by what he eats. It is right not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Happy is he who has no reason to judge himself for what he approves. But he who has doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not act from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is such an important passage. Like this is, again, like this is totally for our time. What he's saying here is, not everybody is at the same level of faith. Not everyone is at the same level of understanding. And if you, because you understand something, feel that you have some freedom over others, don't abuse your freedom. Because your freedom really may scandalize somebody. And if you scandalize them, you have ruined the work of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection because you've made them leave. You've made them doubt. You've made them scandalized. And here you are being like, well, they should understand this. And he's saying, no, you have no right to do that. So he's saying, so if these people have in their conscience that they can't eat this, then for the sake of love, don't eat it. Even, he's like, he goes, and I might agree with you. It's funny because here he's agreeing. In Corinthians, you'll see that he doesn't. He doesn't completely dismiss the no, not eating meat camp. In Corinthians, actually, he's going to be like, they have a point. They have a point. Um, but, or maybe it was earlier in Romans. I can't remember because I've been reading both at the same time. Sorry. Um, and so what he's not saying is never say the truth for the sake of peace. He's specifically talking about non-dogmatic things right now. He's talking about practices and customs and rituals. He's not talking about doctrine because when it comes to doctrine, he actually speaks very strongly that it has to be stopped. That wrong doctrine has to be stopped. So I want to make that part clear. What he's saying is bow your personal privilege and understanding the needs of others. So let me give an example, something that I did. Okay. Um, I grew up with this concept of, I had two concepts taught me, okay, about salvation. And one thing that I had been taught, which I've come to understand isn't necessarily really correct or really meaningful, is um, unlimited sin means unlimited savior. 
um, et cetera, and all these characteristics of a redeemer. And so when I first got ordained, I was sometimes going to churches and I would antagonize that, right? I'd be like, it is not this, right? And I'd be really aggressive, right? And how I approached it, right? And if people think like that, I mean, that's up to them, but really, I don't know why anybody would even want that. What does that mean about God if you think that? And I would just go blah, 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 right? And then one time I was doing that at a church and one of the priests was present in Pomona. Um, and he asked me after, not even in front of everyone, his humility and his wisdom really affected me. Because he asked me on the side, he's like, Wanna, can I ask you a question? Um, like, is it heretical to say that um, an unlimited sin demands an unlimited savior, right? He asked me an objective question. And I paused and just like, you know, no, it's not. I think it's irrelevant, but it's not heretical. He's like, okay, just wanted, I wanted to make sure I understood. He didn't correct me, he didn't chastise me, even though I had every right, he had like at least 15 years my senior. Um, and he was like, okay. And it made me stop and be like, why am I fighting them? No one's fighting me. And if it's not heretical, why do I feel the need to take an active stance? Like, why do I need to go out of my way to make a point of saying X, right? Or theosis, for example, that's another example, okay? We believe in theosis. There's a lot of um, controversy around it because people mean different things when they say theosis. Some people mean something that we don't believe in. Some people mean something that we do believe in. So there's been a lot of controversy. And so sometimes I'll see people feel the need to go into a church and say, of course we believe in theosis. When there's a whole bunch of fights around theosis, right? Where it's like, well, what matters more? What you're naming it or what it means? And if you're fighting for the word and scandalizing people and making them feel that they can't trust you, why? Why? What's your point? Right? Like that's not, that's, that's scandalizing people, right? There's so many different ways that, that we do this. Don't club people over the head with whatever stance you've come to leave. So that if I've come to a realization, this is what St. Paul's saying. If you've come to the realization that theosis itself is not wrong, it's just sometimes misunderstood, but you're with people where that word really makes them uncomfortable for whatever reason, but they have the right understanding. Why, why do you need to fight them? Leave them alone, right? Then don't use the word, use another word. It's not about the word, right? That's what St. Paul's saying, right? Or on another level, maybe you and a fasting friend were invited over to dinner and you're of the school that you should break your fast in love and the other person is of the school, how could I for anyone break my fast? If both people look at each other inferiorly, you're both stumbling blocks, right? The one who's breaking his fast, being like, wow, this person has no love. I can't believe that. This is the spirit of the law or the letter of the law moment. And the other person's like, wow, that person dropped it in a heartbeat. They were just dying for that steak, huh? Right? That's both of you are wrong right? 
that the person who keeps their fast, let them keep their fast to the Lord. The person who breaks his fast, let him break his fast for the Lord. There's no dogma here. Okay? Um, each, as St. Paul is saying, is going to be held to account to the measure of faith and honesty. Right? Even, I know a bunch of hermits. I know some hermits that if any visitor comes, welcome, ya marhaba, open in the, in the law of love. I know other hermits that are like, nope, get lost. Because if I open my door to you, I open my door to everyone, and the whole point of me coming here was to be a hermit. Each has their reason. Each has their skill set. Each has their vices. Each has their virtue. Leave them alone. Okay, that's what St. Paul is saying very, very, very strongly. Chapter 15. Don't worry, the rest of this goes really fast. Um, those were the longest sections, and then we're good. Um, we who... Sorry, we who are strong in the, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. The gospel of love, okay, denying yourself. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to edify him. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached thee fell on me. He took the reproach of humanity on himself. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So St. Paul is saying, bow to each other. You want to be Christians? Bow to one another, as the Lord did to us. Instead of exposing and scandalizing and judging your brethren, Cover them, serve them, make things easy for them, and do it joyfully. Our Lord was treated horrifically on our account, St. Paul saying, we can handle not having our own way and our own thoughts prevail all the time. Right? Our Lord, rather than pleasing himself, St. Paul's referencing Psalm 69 here, instead absorbed the insults of those who had insulted God. Right? Um, and so... St. Paul is saying, there's no one stronger than God, and here's what the strong man did. He made himself weak. Make yourself weak. Um, so don't try, I guess, the, 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 if I can sum it in a word, don't try to overcome people. Right? Or one sentence, I mean. Instead, um, serve people. And don't fear being overcome by people. If we do this, then God is glorified people will visibly see how glorious God is and consequently our own glory in the image and likeness um, that we are. Welcome one another, therefore, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Jews, Gentiles, kiss and make up, hug it out, is what he's saying. Okay? Accept people. Um, he's switching back to the theme. Right? He's rebuking the, Gent he's rebuked the Gentiles and the Jews for their food fights. And now he's saying to the Jews, but now with a totally different tone, God is really nice, okay? That he welcomed the Gentiles, okay? Um, and that he won them by his humility, by becoming a slave, that Christ became slave, right? As we talked about slavery earlier, and not in the modern sense of the word, the old sense of the word. 
Um, he made his meaning in others. And so he's saying now, when people, by becoming a slave, and I'm intentionally using slave here, not servant, a slave to all, letting your meaning be found in another. That's what slavery is. Your identity is found in another. And so Paul is being very clear here that pleasing one's neighbor is not about placating them or catering to their whims. That is not what St. Paul is saying. He's saying that pleasing your neighbor, he says it explicitly, is by loving them, by laying down your will in accordance to the gospel. Verse 8, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise thee among the Gentiles and sing to thy name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all Gentiles, and let all the people praise him. And further, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse shall come, he who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and, and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So here's return to the theme of Romans, um, reminding them, but now in a gentle tone, that the Gentiles are welcome as it is written of. And he pulled a whole katana or, or chain, that's what katana means, of verses to show that I'm not just saying this, guys, this is the gospel. This is the Old Testament. Um, and I just wanted to just briefly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Notice his language in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so by the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. I just, when I was reading, I'm just like, no one talks like that anymore. Like we, we should talk like that, but we don't. Right? Today, I think if a servant or any Christian spoke like that, people would just call it cheesy. But it's not cheesy when you mean it. Right? Like, like he's saying, I really hope that God, the God of hope, because he is our hope, brings you so much happiness and peace. Right? That, that you abound in that, that that makes you happy and peaceful and joyful. I really want that for you. It's really nice. Like, think about whether you talk like that. If you don't, you should think about it. Right? Do you wish that for people? Does that thought ever even cross your mind? Um... So this next section, the last half of the 15, um, this is where like a lot of scholars think this is the climax. I don't know. I think the climax was 12, 13. That's my personal opinion. But he's, he's been focusing in these two chapters on the theme of the Jews and Gentiles being in Christ for the glory of God. I guess it's the climax in that after explaining why and how it must be so, now he's showing you what it looks like. Um, but now he's going to talk, and I'm, I'm taking a pause to explain it, because if you don't understand it, it just sounds like Paul's showing off, and he's not. But it's showing you how you're allowed to be excited about the ministry and explaining it. So Paul is now going to describe his own mission in relationship to Rome, okay? Um, and that he was talking in the beginning of the epistle about how this is a crazy time in the history of the world, that God... Um, has welcomed the Gentiles. And so Paul is now excited to say, and it's actually so cool that that's my ministry. I get to participate in this historic event that I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, right? And that 
that that they've become my people. They become my um, my mission. And so, um, just trying to skim through my notes here. Um, he wants the readers to understand the letter as a reminder, okay, not as an assault on their character. Is what we're about to get into. Um, and actually, that he's saying part of my speaking this way is because I'm a priest. It's part of my service um, that I have a job to correct um, and chastise and rebuke. Um, but it's not because I'm trying to rip you apart is what he's about to get into. Um, and he's like, so forgive me. Um, I've kind of had to put you guys in your place. Um, and he did. He did have to put them in their place. Um, and so he's saying that I'm not boasting in the success of my work, but actually I'm boasting the sense of what Christ has accomplished in bringing the Gentiles into obedience to the gospel, into the light of the gospel. Um, and so that's what he's ex excited about. And that's what Paul sees as his gift to be proclaiming the gospel to those who had not heard the Gentiles in fulfillment of Isaiah. So he's saying, this is a moment in history, guys. Isaiah is being fulfilled right now and I get to be part of it. How cool is that, right? It's almost like, let's say we had explicit understandings of um, end time prophecy and we knew we were in those times and we got to be like, oh guys, this is crazy. We're in it. This is us, right? He's speaking with that kind of excitement. So verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brethren, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder um, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so the offering the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified of the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's what we just talked about was what he means there. Um, the only thing I wanted to point out is that I think it's important for us to realize that sometimes in the service, not just, not just bishops and priests, but all of us, sometimes we do have to come down hard, right? That we, we sometimes think that you have to always be like huggy and, and stuff and saying, Paul is saying, no, sometimes you have to lay it down. Um, just like parents know that very well. Sometimes they have to, to pull it down. Just like children do sometimes with their parents of saying, I had to, I had to draw a line. Um, that sometimes it's necessary to speak boldly. If your intention is not to oppress, subjugate, mock, abuse, like assault, then it might not be wrong. Um, and so St. Paul was tough where he needed to be tough. And now you see him becoming soft, right? Now he's like, now I can take it easy. Now you understand what I meant. Now I can speak gently. Verse 17, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has wrought through me to win obedience from the Gentiles by word and deed, by the power of sign and signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and as far as Illyricum, I fully preach the gospel of Christ. So I'm saying he's not showing off. He's saying how excited he is that he's witnessing like prophecy come true. Thus making it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named to the Jews, lest I build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, they shall see who have never been told of him 
and they shall understand who have never heard of him. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. It's like, I've been wanting to come to you for so long, but I've literally been all over the earth speaking to Gentiles. Um, okay, we will plow through um, 23 um, through most of the last chapter. Um, so I'm not re-going through um, this whole section again, because it's re-saying what we discussed like in Minutia, um, in earlier chapters, but now showing them here's how it's unfolding in real life, right? So earlier on, he was wrestling with the Jews to understand that the Gentiles are the people of God now, right? And so now he's, he's going in and saying that. Now, I'm going to plow through the names that are in chapter 16, but what I want you to pay attention to because sometimes they're just like, yeah, 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 whatever, here are names. In these names, St. Paul is, is showing something very interesting. First of all, names sometimes give us details about Paul's life and who he knows. But if you go through these names, you'll recognize that some of the names are men. Some of the names are women, which says something about the role of women in the early church as well. Some of these are Jews. Some of these are Gentiles. And some of these are slaves. And some of these are liberated slaves. And so the names are showing us something about the New Testament church, how countercultural it was, right? That you've got that a new kind of community where men, women, slaves, freed, Jew, Gentile are coming as equals. So the names are saying something, even though they're not saying it directly. Um, and the names are also interesting because they, they, they can show you some of the history that's going on because Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla has a nickname of Prisca. So you'll see that they're mentioned here, but they were also mentioned in other epistles when they were in exile. So the names, I, just, I, I would suggest that in general, don't just gloss over them. They, they can tell you things. Um, when you're going through them. So verse 23 um, on, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, I, I lied, one more thing. Here's where, remember at the very beginning we said that one of the motives of writing to the Romans was to ask them for their support. He wants them to be his home base as he works his way out to Spain. Um, he probably wants money from them and that's not wrong because Paul has no money and he needs to be able to pay for the journeys. We know that Paul is so sensitive to money issues that Paul himself makes a point of working even though he shouldn't have needed to work. But Paul works to make sure that nobody accuses him um, of, of just doing what he does for money. So Paul makes a point of being poor so that nobody can raise a finger at him. So when he asks for money like he is right now for support that they know he's not pocketing the money because he's still making tents and selling them. Um, but the issue of money comes up in another fight in another epistle. Um, it's not here. So um, here he's saying to them, I met up with you guys. I'm hoping you can support me. I'm going to come through on my way to Spain whatever you can help me by way of money, companionship, friendship, support, all the above. I'm open to because I would love it. So, now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have, no, I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing 
as I go to Spain and to be sped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a little. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem with aid for the saints. Um, Paul really, you'll see this in all the epistles, really cared about financially supporting um, the Jews in, 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 um, in Jerusalem who were persecuted, who were poor, and who didn't have funds. Um, they were pleased to do it, and indeed they are in debt to them, for if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings, saying, Gentiles, you need to show solidarity with the Jews. Um, you in particular should help pay for them. For the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, that also be of service to them in material blessings. I'm just going to pause there because I wasn't thinking about this when I was reading the first time. But it's funny because sometimes the churches in the lands of immigration are anti, I was one of them anyway, sending money to Egypt of saying we should support the local community. And that's true. We must and we have a duty to serve the local community. I agree with that. But it's interesting that what St. Paul is also saying is you owe this church to the mother church. So send some money home too. Um, but I think that's very relevant in our times too. And I, I personally hadn't thought of that. When therefore I have completed this, verse 28, um, and have delivered to them what has been raised, I shall go on by way of you to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal you, brethren, by our Lord Christ and the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. The God of peace with you all. Amen. No, that never ends up happening. St. Paul ends up getting arrested, which is what he's talking about there. He's sent to Rome as a prisoner, um, and he, it seems to be that he probably never ends up getting to Spain. Um, last chapter, last dress. I'm only going to, I'm going to pause on only one verse in this one, and we are done Romans, folks. Um, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at, uh, of, of Sancria, that you may receive her in the Lord as befits the saints and help her in whatever she may require from you. She's probably a benefactress to him, for she has been a helper of, of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to not only I, but not only I, but also all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert in Asia for Christ. Um, greet Mary, who has worked hard among you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are men of note among the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is a pre approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trophina and Trophosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, eminent in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus, sorry, Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Um, just sorry, one clarification, not clarification, amplification. Um, churches are in people's homes, right? So most likely there is multiple church homes, and that's why it says the church that's in their home, they were not allowed to be in the open. And so this letter would have been distributed to all the different churches and they would have read them in every single household church.
I appeal to you, brethren. This is the only part I'm going to add or, or post on um, in this chapter. I appeal to you, brethren, to take note of those who create dissensions and difficulties in opposition to the doctrine which you have been taught. Avoid them. So, those who are contentions, those who just want to debate, those who just want to have an argument with everything, Paul is saying, don't go debate them, avoid them. Um, that is so relevant, I think, to us. For such persons do not serve the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They're all about themselves, not about God. And by fair and flattering words, they deceive the hearts of the simple-minded. For while your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, I would have you wise as to what is good and guileless as to what is evil. Then the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsman, I, Tertius, the one who's the writer of this letter, the dictator, or the one who's being dictated to, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me, to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasure, and our brother Cordus greet you. And finally, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the go my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret for long ages, the mystery that he expounded in these letters that he was talking about, but is now disclosed and through the prophetic writings that he cited at length in this epistle, is made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faithfulness to the only wise God glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, and thus ends the book of Romans. Um, that was brutally difficult. I don't think I've ever struggled so much in my life. Um, I hope that you guys didn't hate it. Um, the message of Romans is our good God who created us out of love from nothing created us to be in a bond of love. We turned our backs and became unfaithful to him. And we chose death over life. But our unfaithfulness, whether Jew, whether Gentile, whatever stripe we had, our unfaithfulness never caused our God to be unfaithful. And that God returned faithfulness toward our unfaithfulness. And that the way that we could be restored in faithfulness to God has been through the one Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, whose own faithfulness has mediated our relationship, has fixed our relationship, has bridged our relationship, has closed the gap so that once again we can enjoy the presence of God, that solve the enmity, and that what the faithfulness of God demands of us is our faithfulness. And that what faithfulness looks like, chapter 12 through 16, is for us to put on the Lord Christ and to be in his image and likeness. That's the summary of Romans. Um, that is the good news that St. That Paul has proclaimed. That is the gospel, as he himself has said, of St. Paul. Glory be to God forever. Um, amen. Okay. I will scroll up to find... Um, any questions? Um, uh, 
What would you say about people who are trying to find out information about others? What is the root cause? I don't want to say it's always malicious um, because it might not be. Um, but what I would say is that if it is at all vain, then it's wrong. Because I might want to know how someone's doing to say, I know that person was in a bad place. How are they doing? That's, that's good for me to want to know how they're doing, especially if it's leading me to do something on their behalf, right? Or for example, um, I heard that someone's family member died. I might want to know that to know to care for them. Um, I heard that somebody lost their job in this crisis. I might, that, those are all good ways. But if it's knowledge simply for the sake of knowledge, something's wrong, right? Because then you're just fact collecting and it, and it means that you, um, and again, whenever I say you, I'm never talking about whoever wrote the question. I want to make that clear because of the way I speak sometimes. It means that whoever it is that it is that person um, might have an ego problem. And the reason why I'm saying that is because you think you're entitled to know. You think that you should know. You think you have the right to know. Those are all ego issues. Um, so, um, we should try not to know. Um, my bishop, God bless him, um, anyone who knows Ambas Rabiun, if you try and gossip or speak about people and from Ambas Rabiun, um, uh, there's an Arabic expression, his, his visage flips. Wish um, you uh, Because he hates gossip. Like I'm, I'm bringing him up because I really learned this from him, right? Where if somebody goes to just talk to him about something random and they start naming names and stuff, he'll be like, stop. He'll actually stop them, right? And say, why are you telling me this? He forces the person to say it. Are you, are, you, are, you ask, are you bringing this up because you want advice? Are you just trying to make someone look bad? Are you struggling with something? Define it. And ask yourself whether you need to tell me the names or not. Because he's not interested in just hearing um, what people think of people. Right? So... Um, I would say that we need to ask ourselves before we speak every single time, why am I talking? Why am I bringing it up? What is the purpose of, of my speech? What is the purpose of my asking? What is the purpose of my, 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 of my um, inquiry? Um, if I'm not understanding that question properly, please um, follow up because I might not have understood it right. Um, I did not see that Abuna was in here. Okay, but he's apparently um, already gone. Sorry, I was using my notes, so I didn't see. Um, can you give practical examples of how we can lay our life down for our neighbors, particularly when it comes to strangers and acquaintances with whom we don't have relationships with? 
yeah, I mean, it can be so simple and it can be so complex, right? So let's say on your street, you notice, and for those of us who are in Canada, for example, um, you notice that there's an elderly couple on your street. You don't know them. Why not go shovel the snow off of their driveway? Right? In the way that you had it arranged for yourself or you did it yourself, why not once in a while do it for other people that you don't even know? Right? Maybe you're at the gas station and the person in front of you is fumbling and they can't, they don't have enough and they go and, and ask to have an item put back because they can afford it. Pay for them. Um, but I mean, that, that's in terms of showing random love to people, but you're, but um, it's also doing the right thing for other people. And that can have different things. So for example, maybe there's a policy in your company I'm not saying become a social justice warrior in the colloquial sense. I really don't mean that. But let's say there's a policy in your company that you know is really hurting people. You don't know them, right? And so maybe you speaking up is actually more effective than them speaking up because they're going to be like, oh, of course they're saying that. They're just butthurt that they didn't get what they wanted, right? But if you were to go up and say, hey, I've been made aware to whoever the superior is, that um, some people are being affected by this in this way. Um, it's not actually even affecting me, but um, I wanted to bring it to the right authority's attention because I'm worried about them, right? Like I'm, I'm just making up stuff right now, but like there are different ways that we can do things for people we don't even know um, or that we don't know well or that are just acquaintances. Um, on the same vein of that question is how can, can you give an example of loving your neighbor but then with love, not doing something or agreeing with something that would be a sin or wrong. Yeah. So, um, let's say you're in a conversation where um, people are trash talking somebody. Right, and we all know those conversations, right? Of like, oh my gosh, there it goes again. They're so annoying, right? Did you see what they did today? Right, like it was, it was worse than last time. Today, this person, insert blah, 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 blah. And then they're looking at everybody in the group for agreement. You don't have to agree. Right, and, and there are different ways of not agreeing. Right, you can do it boldly, you can do it quietly, you can be whatever, whatever your personality is, as long as you're not lying. For example, you can be like, Yeah, I, I, I noted the event as opposed to the analysis of the event, the interpretation of the event, right? But you know, I, I, I don't know if they really meant it that way, maybe they didn't actually mean it, right? And so, um. And then that might change the tone, it probably will change the tone right away because people like talking about people, right? Of being like, someone might be like, oh, no, 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 they for sure meant it, they always do it. And be like, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. I, I just, I try, I'm trying not to, to jump to the worst conclusions about anybody, right? Um, and then maybe to say, yeah, I, 
think of times when you've done the very thing that everyone's making fun of and say, it's just that in all honesty, I sometimes do that myself. You've now helped somebody, right? And I'm not even saying, tell them, you guys are horrific, you judges, you bad people, blah, blah, blah. But if you're with a group of Christians, on some level, you should, you should be okay to say, I don't want to judge, right? If you're with a group of Christians, you should be able to say, guys, I just feel really uncomfortable having this conversation because I end up judging, right? You don't have to say you all end up judging, just say, I, I end up judging, right? Or I don't want to think negatively of them. I feel really badly. Um, and so basically always do what the gospel asks you to do. Sometimes that's a negative of not doing something, right? Not returning evil for evil, not judging, not lying. And sometimes it's a positive. Sometimes it's walking the extra mile, right? Sometimes it's to actively be merciful. Um, uh, where can we learn more about the role of women in the early church? Um, I haven't personally read a lot explicitly on just that topic. Um, so I'm aware, I don't know how good it is. I'm aware that there's a book called um, Women in the Thought of um, the Early Church, specifically in St. John Chrysostom. And I think they chose St. John Chrysostom because he is particularly seen as anti-women. Um, and so I think that it's... Um, written to suggest that it's, it's not in that way. You'd also, I think, find it in a lot of books about um, St. Paul's epistles, because St. Paul speaks a lot about women, and it, it doesn't appear to be consistent all the time. Um, because you'll find him in one place saying, women, please be quiet and learn from your husbands, and then in another place talking about them having the gift of prophecy. Um, so you'll find it in a lot of different uh, commentaries. So I don't know enough. Who I would really suggest you to contact if you want to learn more about it, because she will respond to anyone. Um, she's on um, Facebook. I don't know if you've, if you've come across Donna um, Riz. Um, I, uh, she, um, she's a beast. She's from the LA Diocese. Um, I use the word beast and I've been made fun of for using that word too much. But um, if you hit her up, I know she can point you to tons and tons and tons and tons. Um, and she's super approachable. Um, and same with, uh, the name will lose me right now, Mary. Mary Vatos, if you want to look her up on, on Facebook. She's a Buenos daughter from uh, St. John's Covina. Um, but they would be awesome. And they all happen to be women. So um, it's also uh, less <laughs> biased than myself. Um, oh, Julian, I didn't see that it, had, that it had messed up. I didn't know what happened there, my badness. Um, if you had tried to be close to everyone and serving everyone, and at the end, they do not like it and they criticize everything you do, what are we supposed to do? And when do you start to stay away then? And when you start to stay away, they pretend to be your friend. And uh, you forgive them, but you can't believe anything from their side. Do you avoid them or just be silent? Number one is to remember that the good that we do is for the Lord and in the Lord. Right? Because when we remember that 
the object is always Christ, always, um, then we'll never be too um, emotionally attached or sensitive about our services because it's about God, right? So imagine, for example, um, I'm just going to give it an analogy. It's not a perfect analogy, but imagine um, you've decided you're going to get groceries for this elderly woman. And then she sometimes complains that you weren't on time. Or she sometimes complains that you weren't fast enough. And sometimes she complains that other people could do it better. And there are some times that she complains that like one of her bags was torn, right? Um, or that you chose the wrong brand or that you got more expensive stuff than what she can afford, um, et cetera, right? All of these things might happen. So you've got to ask yourself, am I, why did I say that I would get her groceries? Did I say I'm gonna get her groceries so that she can tell me how kind and generous and loving and wonderful I am? Or to help her? Because if it's to help her, then it doesn't matter what she says. It's to bring it back to that object, right? To bring it back to the objective, right? So if our objective is Christ, um, then it doesn't really matter how people respond to me. And if the lady says, thank you so much, I don't need your help anymore, no problem, right? Are you gonna, we're not gonna force our service on her, right? Of being like, no, you need someone to get your bags, darn, and it's gonna be me. Right? No, maybe someone else is going to carry the bags for her for a little bit. No problem. It doesn't even matter what her reasons were. Right? It's that she has said, I need this. And you just said, yes, that's all that there is to it. Right? So the same thing with this question, I would say is that bring it back to, um, to our Lord of who are we serving? Number two, what are we supposed to do? Respond with the gospel. Right? Our Lord came to earth to die for humans and on behalf of humans, and we treated him like garbage. What did he do? He kept loving us. He kept doing the mission. He didn't step out and say, oh, these people, Father, I mean, you've already said how they're backbiters and complainers. Oh, no, like, they're really bad. Like, I, like <laughs> I'm checking out. <laughs> I'm ascending early right? He didn't, he didn't do any of that, right? He did his thing. He, he persevered through it on our behalf. Um, and so our friendship should have nothing to do with our service, right? And so people will treat us badly for different reasons. What I would suggest is when someone criticizes your service or is unappreciative, no problem. But what I do personally is I ask is there anything that they're saying here that is objectively true? That's all that matters. Even if they're saying it meanly, even if they're exaggerating it, doesn't matter. Is what they're saying true? If they said to me, um, you know what, you're really difficult to work with and everyone who works with you feels hindered. I might feel like, well, that's not true. Um, I'm so easy to work with, blah, blah, blah. And I'm saying we shouldn't, right? We should stop and say, 
um, why are they having this impression of me? I'm doing something. I must be doing something that makes them think this. What am I doing? Right? So I look, I personally, I practice this until this day. And I, and I think it's been so helpful to me because then I'm just like, okay, I didn't realize that I'm sometimes interpreted this way or that I really actually do it. I'm not just being interpreted this way. I'm actually doing that. Right? So I'll have peace. I'll grow from it. Right? I'm the one who's benefiting because I do want to grow. So, so look for what's true in it and respond with the gospel. Right? And thank them. Because maybe they're not just pretending to be your friend. Maybe they're just frustrated and they don't know how to articulate it. And maybe they're not good at articulating it. And maybe they're doing it for malicious reasons. I'm just saying it doesn't matter. It's not, it doesn't matter to me or to you if the other person is malicious. Maybe they just want us out. Maybe they're just jealous. Maybe they have a friend they want to hook up and put in that position. It doesn't matter. That's between them and God. Not me and them, not me and God. Between me and God was, Lord, I'm at your service. Do you want me to serve here? Do you want me to serve here? Do you want me to serve here? Do you want me to take a time out? I'm yours. You're the boss. Right? So it's, it's again, always put him back in that, in that place. Um, the only time I would avoid somebody is when I can acknowledge that I'm avoiding them because of my weakness. Of saying, if I were able to perfectly live the gospel, I would be able to be with them right now. But I'm not. I'm not able to forgive well. I'm not able to speak peacefully. I'm not able to act peacefully. And consequently, I am stepping out because of my weakness. No problem. Right? That's, um, that's where... Um, where we can step out when we are unable to do it. Um, I hope that answered. Um, we know God works with us, supports us, guides us, and leads us to him when we suffer for his na namesake or for injustices. But is this also true even when we do, the, do things or make decisions, knowingly or knowingly, against his will, either big picture or small picture? Um, I hope that I'm understanding this question right when I answer it. Um, yeah, God, okay. There is never a time where God is not working with us, except when, and I don't use except too strongly here, when we don't allow him. And, I, and I'm even cautious to say it there because Sometimes he still is. Um, but just in the sense of, for example, let me think of an analogy. Um, I am in a fight with my brother. I'm not, but I'm just using it as an analogy, okay? I'm in a fight with my brother. And it turns out, so I might be doing something wrong in that, okay? But this fight really affects my dad, for example. And so, because I'm in a fight with my brother, and we have a family business that my dad owns, and me and my brother both work in it, um, I am 
um, staying away from the business a lot. Um, and all of it is because I think I have a right and I think I'm correct, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm affecting the family business. I'm affecting my brother and I'm affecting my dad. Okay. So while I'm not at work, I'm not able to have work conversations. While I'm not going to the office and not seeing my brother or my dad, I'm not at the table. And so my dad might know the real issue going on. And so the reason I'm saying he might be helping even when I'm not, dad might be placating my brother, right? So he might be calming my brother down, right? He might be pulling my weight in addition to his at the company because I'm not showing up because I'm angry, right? So there might be things that he's doing for me in, in the background, right? But so long as I'm not there, I'm not quote unquote being helped or helping. So what I'm trying to get at is that God's grace requires our participation, right? It requires our interaction with him. It requires our response to him. Um, and so whether I do right or wrong doesn't turn off God's fountain of grace, except if I remove myself from the situation. I hope that didn't uh, make it more confusing. Um, uh, what is the difference between dogma and doctrine? Okay, so dogma and doctrine, um, to me, because um, sometimes people use dogma and doctrine, some people will use big T tradition and small T tradition, just so that um, you guys know, because you might hear someone say something that sounds contradictory, but is actually saying the same thing. Um, to compare this to science, dogma are like laws in science, right? Gravity, the speed of light, like things that are, these are, these are facts, right? The weight of the number of a mole or whatever it is that you want to go with, right? These are just, they're, they're laws, okay? Whereas doctrines are like scientific theory. And some scientific theory is very well established where it may as well be a law. And some scientific theory is really just nominal stages. Same thing with doctrine, right? There are well-established doctrines that are almost dogma, but they're not officially dogma, okay? And then there are um, small, smaller traditions that are not as, as, as developed. And that a theory can never contradict a law. If the law is true, then the law can't be contradicted. So the same thing with dogma. Um, how is grace, um, as mentioned in Ephesians 2, related to grace, um, small g, when we say, for example, through God's grace, I can do so and so, and we say the grace of God moved this person to tears during prayer. So grace literally just means gift, free gift, that's all, right? And so it's sometimes used a capital G to talk about the specific gift of salvation, um, but all, all grace just means um, gift. Um, and so we're just saying that God, so when someone says, oh, the grace of God moved this person to tears, some people mean the gift of tears themselves. Other people mean, oh, the gift of whatever it is that was holy and true that was being said moved this person 
um, that's usually what's, um, what's being meant. Um, there are questions on Facebook. Um, no, I didn't see them. It might be that somebody uh, was pasting them here because um, that was the end of the questions that I'm seeing. Um, are there um, more online? Uh, should we have anger at the white cops who killed George Floyd? Um, we can have righteous indignation at anything that is against the gospel. So yes. Um, so anything that is, that is wrong or, or is an injustice. Um, I just really hope that we're consistent in that. Um, and by that, what I mean is, because um, I'm really afraid to make any comment because I feel like people are very quick to make things mean things that, that they don't necessarily mean or to make me or others say things that we might not actually be saying. But um, <sighs> be careful not to just be indignant because it's a social movement, right? What's happening to black people is wrong. So I'm not saying that as a like, that's bad, but I'm not qualifying it. There's no but, it's wrong, okay? What I'm also saying is there's a real trend that whatever social movement is going in any way, we're all about the hashtags, right? Like we are all like whoever, um, because sometimes you end up doing wrong in the name of good. Look at the Me Too movement, for example. Is abuse of women wrong? Of course. It's wrong because the gospel says so, not because a social movement says so. It's either right or wrong, and it's wrong, right? But then the Me Too mo movement, which seems to not be that interesting to people anymore, um, after it ran out of its own likes, started to, be, to beat people with the truth as well. Right, so I don't know how many of you, like those of you who are in Canada have probably heard of her, but those of you in the States might not have. Margaret um, Atwood, um, if you have heard of The Handmaid's Tale, because I think there's a new um, uh, video version of it, that was written by Margaret Atwood. She's a very famous Canadian. Um, I was very interested to see that Margaret Atwood wrote uh, an editorial piece in uh, British Columbia, a few years back um, called Am I a Bad Feminist? Because the University of British Columbia fired a male professor, made him sign non-disclosure before they fired him of what the charges were, um, fired him, found out after he was fired from the media and he was, he was legally told he's not allowed to go to the media, um, found out that he's being fired for alleged abuse of a woman. This was during when the Me Too movement was strong. Um, and he wasn't allowed to defend himself. He wasn't allowed to speak up. He wasn't allowed to say that's not true. He wasn't allowed to say anything because he signed this piece of paper for us there. So Margaret Atwood and a whole bunch of other famous Canadians wrote a general letter to UBC saying this is not just, which I applaud. Like I really, really applaud them for. And then feminists, started yelling and screaming at Margaret Atwood saying this is 10 steps back for women how dare your signature be on that right and Margaret Atwood replied saying so am I a bad feminist because I also believe in justice 
She's like, I'm not saying this guy is guilty or not guilty. I'm saying this is not just. And if a church had done this or any other system had done this, we would have called them out. Why is it okay if feminists are unjust? And so I really love that. I actually really, 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 I don't agree with her religious views. I love that she took a stand in the right way, right? Of saying, let's be consistent. So I'm saying, be consistent, right? That don't walk around. If we're going to use actually the letter of Romans from what we read today, St. Paul would be saying, if you have a stance that's not wrong, cool. And don't yell and scream at other people to carry the same stance as you. Don't yell and scream at people to behave the way that you think they should behave when it's a matter of opinion, right? So for example, if you think in good conscience that you should be out protesting and you are able to protest without breaking the law and doing any kind of sin, no problem. That's meat to you. And don't yell at those who don't want to eat your meat as though they're horrible, stupid people. That's actually a great example for exactly what St. Paul was talking about in the epistle today, right? So be outraged at what's wrong, objectively wrong, because we should not be happy about evil. I'm just saying, please be consistent um, in, in doing it. That's, that's my own personal um, view on that. And I hope that I'm not crucified for that, but it might happen anyway. Um, the only place I've ever been taught that God's presence and grace is guaranteed if I seek him as the, oh, the Oriental Orthodox Church. Everywhere else I was taught that sometimes God withdraws at times for mysterious salvific reasons. Um, not a question to spread in on the church. Respect, dog. Um, no, it's true. And uh, to be honest with you, I was sometimes taught that. I think the, the analogy that works for me is realizing that the fountain of grace never turns off. It's just that I, I might walk away from that fountain, but it is always running. Um, and that sometimes it's running and helping me and I'm not even aware of it. Um, and it's, it's beautiful. Um, I've, I've had the fortunate life to meet saints. I, like, like um, and, and by that I mean a particular kind of saints, the kinds that have met other saints um, that are alive. And you know, it astounds me sometimes. Like there's somebody that I know um, who would, call and be like, uh, you have work to do. I'm like, pardon? There's this guy in such and such state. Um, here's his name, here's his number. He's in a crisis, you need to call him. And I'm like, I don't know this guy. And he's like, yeah, neither do I. <laughs> Saint so-and-so said to call them up. And I'd feel crazy, right? And then I called them up and they're like, how did you know? How did you know to call? Um, like I was in the, on the verge of despair because nobody's helping me and no one even believes me. Um, so it's amazing to even see, to have been able to see sometimes the things that God is doing in the background um, and that the saints are doing in the background completely to um, our own um, unawares. Um, I don't know if there's any other questions. If not, Congratulations. Um, like, I feel good, I'm not gonna lie. Cause I'm like, if that was the hardest one, we owned it. I always like starting with the hardest anyway, um, so that everything feels comparatively easier after. This is Paul's most complex doctrinal letter. So I'm really sorry for those of you who maybe joined the Bible in the middle. Um, 
Bible studies are not usually that doctrinal and that like um, heavy. It's just inescapable because of the nature of this letter. So I hope it wasn't a turnoff to, to all of you. Um, God willing, um, there, there will be a Bible study next week. I just don't know if we're going to start the new book right away. Um, God willing, I think next we're going to go on to Corinthians. Um, and Corinthians, um, I think, is so relevant. Corinthians is dealing with issues like elitism in the church, um, church um, division, jealousy in the church, um, abusive position in the church. It's, I think it's a really relevant one. Um, it's, it's not doctrinal um, in nature. I mean, it has some doctrinal points, but it's the subject of the letter is not one of like, let me teach you um, these facts. It's let's fix the problems that are in there, um, which I also think is comforting to know that from the very beginning of the church, those problems already existed because then it makes me feel less crazy today um, that we, we have the same, uh, the same problems. Now the love of God, the Father, the grace of the God Son, the communion, the good will spirit be with you all, go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.